You are listening to Flipping the Narrative. Come and flip with us. Hello everybody, good morning and welcome to Flipping the Narrative. Hi, flip, flip, flipping, flip, flip, flipping the narrative. Hi, flipping the flipping the narrative. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen each other. Uh, nice to see all of you guys again. Uh, we have an incredibly fun um, episode ahead of us today, and we have incredible guests that will make this even more fun. How have you been, Lau? Vance? Oh my God! <laughs> I have been. Do you know that emoji with like the hands on the face that looks like the scream? That's what I've been. That's just it. That and the emoji with the exploding head, pretty much. It's been hard. I've had a hard few weeks. So this is, I'm actually really, really happy to be here and just, and talk, you know, and hear people and stuff. Bams, how about you? I don't know. I'm such a hermit now with this stupid ECQ, MECQ, barbecue. Who knows? L1Q. L1Q. Yeah. Okay. It's nice to see people. It's nice, nice to see you. <laughs> okay, well, that, that L1Q, I think, is a nice little segue to our topic for today. And I'm thrilled because this entire thing came about from Dustin Ozoa, who's a fan of Flipping the Narrative and wrote on our Facebook page, I love your show. I always look forward to each and every episode. I even listen past episode again to past episodes again while waiting for the next episode. So we love you, Dustin. Thank you. Your last episode was about race, and I was wondering if you can discuss accentism in the Philippines. I am from the South, who is a combination of Lumad, Bisaya, Ilocano. There really is varying degrees of discrimination of accents, Bisaya, for example, versus Manila, Tagalog. Visayan accent is even mocked in TV and films, stereotyped um, with, for people with unelegant jobs or mannerisms and incompetence. So it emphasizes the otherness of people. Um, so there, more power to you and love you guys. And thanks. I thought it was such a thoughtful and on-point message that we figured we got to talk about this because it's true. And I was just, as before we were starting, I was asking Luis and Bambina, when is our humor about our accents, cariño? And when is it classism and otherization, Right. Um, so I'm really, really excited to dive into that. So to get us started, Bams, go ahead and introduce our guest. Well, I'm going to go straight to the heavy hitter, Dr. Dennis Pulido, who is a professor at FEU Manila, former director of the University Research Center and former Institute of Art and Sciences, associate dean for special projects in the same university. And he is part of the Linguistic Society of the Philippines. He has a doctorate in philosophy and applied linguistics from De La Salle University, Manila. He's been teaching English since 1999. Um, and um, he is also teaching at the college master's and doctoral levels. And he's written several research papers as well. So this is a heavy duty academic with us today. <laughs> Welcome, <Okay>. Doc. <laughs> Welcome, Doc. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. And then we have uh, Chris Upton, who is in a way in the business of accents, erasing them or creating them, right? <laughs> With John Roberts Powers, which is uh, which his father started in the Philippines, a franchise in the Philippines, and Chris has now since taken over. And um, John Roberts Powers uh, alumni include 
beauty queens, politicians, people like you and me. And um, even back in the day when they started it, people like Ava Gardner in Hollywood, right? Am I right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, very, very distinctive pedigree as well. Um, That's why Ava sounds like, Chris sounds like Ava Gardner. Yeah. um, Well, I, I, the story with her was she, she came from a, tobacco town called grab town and look how far she got and yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> exactly thank you john robert powers <laughs> <laughs> and, and now and also last but not least is a good friend of mine and a good friend of of laris as well laris as well um Apa Umpin, who has been um in a former life a newscaster a broadcast journalist oh, yeah. and he also he's also a writer and an editor i've actually collaborated with him on a couple of projects he is also something of an adventurer, right, Appa? Uh, yeah, yeah. Guns, boats. <laughs> oh <my> the <God. laughs> drug runner. No, wait. <laughs> guns and boats. So there, how adventurer, so Appa? What's adventurer? What does that mean? Adventurer how? Well, I, li- I like to travel around the Philippines and um, meet all sorts of different people. I've, I've done this by, by boat. I've done it by... Um, off-road, you know, uh, truck uh, on foot, and you know, I've I've done so. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if you call them adventures, but they're. I'm a traveler, you know. I like. Well, your family is. Didn't you go to Scarborough Shoal as well? No, my boat went to Scarborough Shoal. Unfortunately, (laughs) I was still uh, fully employed at the time, or I would have gone. I uh, (laughs) my boat was has actually been to Scarborough Shoal three times. No. Um, and this is during the period when the Chinese started occupying it and Filipinos were not allowed to go there. So they were chased out every time. The first time it was hired by Al Jazeera. The second time it was hired by the New York Times. And the third hmm. time I can't remember who hired it, but I think it was a local uh, group. Well, that's an adventure. If your boat could speak, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, what accent would it have? <laughs> I guess that's the question. No, but you know how, how they say, the, the British say, like, an Englishman is damned the minute he opens his mouth, right? Mm. You've, I don't know if you've heard that saying, but there's also a thing, like, the whole of England or British Isles or whatever you want to call it, there are all these different regions and they all have different accents. So, and there's mm. also a classism kind of applied to that because water, you know, right? There's a posh accent and there's a working class accent. There's the Cockney accent. So they're all social markers, right? And there's there's the royal one, right? It's a head. Yeah. Don't you say his head? Yeah. It's head. And then I, I think they do it less now, but they used to do the thing that they call RP, which is received pronunciation, right? Which is how the BBC newscasters mm. were supposed to speak and that was supposed to be the model for the rest of England. Now, do we do that here? I think we're also a hodgepodge of different, you know, dialect and, you know, tribal affiliations. I so, think it's important to, I think, that, you know, before we even start, it, it, we need to recognize accentism as a bias. Um, yeah. You know, the same way, you know, your racism is. And, 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 and funnily enough, accentism, I think, goes under the radar very quickly because it's not, it's not ever viewed as, as, as a bias. 
And, and as you said, I mean, I think it's really important because it can be a bias um, towards um, even hiring people. It's uh, yeah. how, you, how you relate to other people. Even, you know, uh, meeting up with somebody the first time, whether I will allow you to be my friend or not, because I cannot be right. in public. It speaks that way. So, yeah, I think recognition of, of accentism as a bias is I, I'd like to start us off with that. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Lou, in that it goes under the radar because it tends to be really associated with, say, education. And therefore, it's conflated with meritocracy, right? You speak well because you have achieved a certain level in life and professionalism and success. Therefore, it's not a bias. It's something you, quote, deserve or not, right? Um, but yeah, absolutely, I think it's a bias. It becomes fodder for, you know, material for comedy, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious here, what do, let's say, prof, how do you, how do you see accentism in our country or in your classrooms? Does it even play out maybe in your classrooms? Especially you're teaching English. So, you know, English is supposed to be the signifier of class and all that in in our society. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I experienced discrimination because of my accent when I was in college. Uh, It's not because of my English, but it's because of my Tagalog. So I was born and raised in Cavite Ah. in Alfonso. And then we speak um, Tagalog with a very heavy accent. So it tends to be syllabic and then we stress out everything. Uh, and then when I went to Manila, so my classmates came from universities and colleges also in Manila. And then when I spoke Tagalog, so they asked me, why do you have a funny Tagalog accent? And then I said, what's wrong with my accent? So they started imitating my Tagalog. And then uh, they laughed at me. Yeah, I experienced that. And then... My classmate, who was also from Cagayan, also experienced that his Tagalog has, has a, had a more difficult accent, a heavier accent. But then eventually, I came to acquire Manila Tagalog, which is quite diff- mm. which is somewhat different with Cavite Tagalog based on accent. I but, never knew. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I, I was discriminated before. But eventually, I uh, finished college. I got to acquire the accent. And then I studied linguistics. Accent is very, well, it's a demarcation of race. So it can be a basis for discrimination. However, in the latest paradigms like world Englishes, we recognize the existence of various Englishes, like there's American English. The accent of American English is also different from British English. There's Irish English, Australian English, there's Philippine English, Singapore English. So accent is the least of our concerns in scholarly work related to linguistics. What we are after is intelligibility. So despite Mm. your accent, the question is, will other speakers of English understand you? So accent is the least of our concerns in linguistics. We're more after mutual intelligibility. Interesting. Are you talking about spoken or written or both? In, of course, for spoken, it's more spontaneous. So, uh, and there's a direct interaction. It's different from written. Written is more controlled. Well, when it also comes to written and also in spoken, there are two levels. There's informal, there's formal. Mm-hmm. So, informal spoken conversation, do people understand you? Whereas in written communication, are we talking about uh, articles, research papers, letters, correspondence? Written language is much easier to understand because it's all there. Unlike uh, spoken uh, language, which is spontaneous. So you have to mm. process it very fast. Unlike written, you can go back to what was said before. 
So let's say you don't understand the paragraph, you go back to the entire paragraph until you understand it. But spoken conversation, it's faster, Doc, spontaneous. So, Doc, yes. I want to hear Cavite Tagalog. Because I don't, I really have to confess, I don't know, it was different. How, how? Uh, let's say, let's say, um, in Manila, you would say, green na yung traffic light. Tumawid na tayo. Okay. Something like that. Uh, in Cavite Tagalog, we would say, ayun, green na yung ilaw. Ayun na lumiban. Lumiban. Uh, yeah, it's uh, tumawid, lumiban. There's synonymous or there are different words, but they mean the same. So, Cavite nyo Tagalog, there are certain words that are quite different from Manila Tagalog. But, uh, Aside from the different words, the accent is also heavy. You know, Cavite was heavily influenced by the Spaniards. And Cavite, uh, until today, the Tagalog that is used brings in a lot of words in Spanish that not uh, everybody else in the Tagalog-speaking areas would actually use. The accents as well are... are Again, sorry, you know, I lived in, in Latin America for almost 20 years. So basically what ends up happening is that the tone, the tono, and the way that, you know, the pronunciation of the syllables, as Prof was saying, is much harsher or much more yeah. syllabic. There's a bigger rhythm that is identified with the way that the Tagalog actually um, is spoken. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know that. I know we, I used to make fun of my mother, who's really Bisaya. She's from Bogo, Cebu. <laughs> Whenever she speaks Tagalog, it sounds so awkward and difficult, you know, so I'm like... Don't not just speak in Cebuano or in English because the beside the Tagalog is so tortured, you know. And, and I guess if I'm being very honest, now when she spoke the Tagalog in that tortured way, I was a little embarrassed hearing it, right? So there's um, certainly an association of either it marked her as provinciana yeah. somehow. Maybe, maybe when I was younger that I didn't, you know, now that I'm older, I can look back and be like, oh Jesus, what a bitch of a daughter. But at the time, <laughs> I just thought um, it just sounded weird how jahe, you know. Chris, I'm, right? I mean, yeah. There's that geographical again bias where we are from the capital city of blah, right? In, yeah. in any country, it seems to be that the capital city is the city that actually marks the proper language and the proper accents. And if you're not from there, you're out of there. Yeah. Well, actually, we don't call it the proper accent, but the prestige variety. So, oh, like, wow. Well, Tagalog is the prestige <laughs> variety. Whereas, Tagalog is the less prestigious variety. <laughs> and then there's the colegiala accent. Wait, no, I want to oh, know yeah. from Chris oh, yeah. in terms of, like, because I know John Robert also does um, classes and stuff for, like, self-presentation, for how you're going to go to an interview, for how, right? So, like, I know you, we kind of discussed this separately on a chat with Bambina, but I know there's pressure on you even to teach a certain accent, correct? Uh, so the funny thing is that we used to have um, what I, I, I were blatantly called accent correction classes. Okay. Um, and that <laughs> is, and, and, um, um, and that actually has been phased out. Like I, it's, it's certainly something that I uh, would be very uncomfortable with still, even though I really understand where it comes from. And by the way, what I was thinking when you were talking about your mom, Laura, is that that's kind of the experience of like immigrants everywhere, right? Where, where yeah, they move totally. to the place. And then like, whether you talk to like Korean kids in the States or Chi Chinese kids or Filipino kids, like their, their children sound different. 
even so though they grew true. up. Right. But so back to the um, accent correction classes, I think as Doc was saying, um, as there's been um, more and more of an appreciation of the importance of uh, intelligibility over accent and more of an acceptance of accents, there's just less and less desire for that. It's funny, in, in, in preparation for this, I kind of talked to my sales team just to ask them, like, have you had any um, requests lately for, for this kind of thing? And I, they mentioned two things. It, it was maybe like three or four years ago, so it's not even that recent. But one was the, the provincial wife of a wealthy man who, mm-hmm. did, who still did not feel comfortable with her. her oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe she was from the business. I think she, she was from Iloilo or something. And then the other was a general in the army who was afraid that if he didn't really kind of smooth out the rough edges, it might really affect his promotion. Because um, I, I think he was really, I, I don't know the full story. This is just, I, it, they're telling me like a thumbnail sketch, but um, yeah. So, which I thought were two interesting examples. One may be very um, predictable in a way, uh, and then the other less so. So, but do you guys still like, I would, I'm actually wondering, you're making me think in our own business, right? So I'm an entrepreneur, I have a small business. When we promote people, when we think about people, it's really changed. Like accent doesn't even come up at all, right? One's expertise in English doesn't come up, except, and this I think is a little bit to Doc's point earlier, when there's really a problem of comprehension. Like I really don't understand what you're saying, you know? and as a quick sort of side note that is a little bit unrelated, we really wanted to work with more uh, deaf Filipinos because my argument was deaf Filipinos, especially doing something like graphic arts or whatever, if we're communicating primarily through Skype or another chat platform that, you know, it's irrelevant, right? Like I, I don't have to be able to speak ASL or FSL. They don't necessarily have to be able to speak English or Tagalog. But what I learned is in the Philippines, they're actually not taught written English all that much. Uh, I think it's slowly starting to improve, but that actually became the difficulty. So that had nothing to do with accent. That had all to do with comprehension, right? Legibility in the written form. Um, So you guys don't, don't at all, do you work at all on English, Chris, when you're talking about like self-presentation or interviews and stuff or no? Yeah. So we definitely teach English and I feel like there's a, it's funny because it, one point I wanted to do like an accent pride class because I love the sounds of accents. Um, okay. I think they, it sounds so interesting, but of course that, that would never get off the ground because while people <laughs> no longer want to correct their accent, they don't necessarily want to like go to their Bisaya pride English class. Right. Um, <laughs> but I am all for it. I, I, I think I told you guys in our chat that like when I was growing up, I found the Bisaya accent impossibly glamorous somehow. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't speak Bisaya, but it just sounded so sassy. Um, Chris has decided that RuPaul should take on a Bisaya accent. And yeah, make it like <laughs> Hello, do you, know that, do you know that Michelle Visage just tweeted in Tagalog? Because she RuPaul really started. Because yeah. the drag race is coming up? Yeah. In the wow. Philippines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God. On. Yeah. No, 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 no. Two, two. Sorry, I'm sorry. This is a side thing. There's two. There's Drag Den with Manila Luzon and Drag Race Philippines. 
Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My point was that if RuPaul um, were in the Philippines, she would only speak in a in a Bisaya accent because that, that's that's the sassy drag. That's what you've decided. That, okay, well, so my <laughs> my big question I really want to ask, and maybe Appa, you can tell me what you think because I mean Appa's family has been. You know, you have come from a long line, I feel, of big lovers of our islands, which I think is great and big supporters of all things Filipino and whatever. And you've traveled around the Philippines. I know your mother has too. What, like, the question I started with this morning with Bambina and Luis is, or, okay, quick, quick context. When I am with my Bisaya family, we have a lot of cariño for our own mistakes in English and our own Bisaya-isms, right? And I know that it is safe and it's loving and it's cariño. Then there is a clear demarcation in my head of when it is no longer cariñoso and it is classist and bitchy, right? So I would love to hear from everyone here, like, when is our humor, cariño and sort of an internal community inclusive thing? And when is it really used to hurt or exclude or other? You know, I wanted to give a little bit of background. Mm. Uh, accentism is an evolving uh, thing. It's not static. Mm -hmm. it, it really moves all over the place. You know? I was a reporter for TV Patrol, mm -hmm. uh, which was a groundbreaking program. We, we mm -hmm. forget this now. It was the first primetime news broadcast in Filipino. Okay? That's right. I mean, bar, bar none. Even at that time, IBC 13 did not have news in Filipino. Okay. Uh, the, during the Marcos era, IBC 13 was the channel that catered to Filipino speaking audiences, right? And even their newscast was in English. Uh, it, was, it was a sort of a thing, right? Because, because of accentism, English was, and to some extent still is, the language of power. And uh, Tagalog was seen as not the light power. Now, the important thing that ABS-CBN did was they established, uh, I guess, what you call received pronunciation Tagalog. Okay, and I that was, was largely ask established. About that. By, yeah, yeah, it was largely established by people like uh, Noli de Castro. Ted Filon, you know, people like that, right? These are the faces that we would see on, on yeah. screen. But actually, the people writing the scripts, people you may not know, Jing Reyes, Jake Maderaso, mm. these people behind the scenes were the ones who really established the, um, the Tagalog standard, right? At the same time that this was going on, the, the standard of English changed, okay, v very much. There's university mm. English, which some people deride as Arneo English, right? Mm. Actually, there's very little difference between an Ateneo, La Salle, UP uh, accent. The assumption accent, I would say, is an exception because <laughs> it's, really, it's really different. And you know, you know. Tusok, tusok, the fishbowl. Same squawko, by the way. So just to be clear. Go ahead. <laughs> the the uh, assumption accent owes a lot to the Ilongo accent. Okay. Uh. The Ilongo accent is the Visayan language of power. Because the Ilongos were just so fabulously wealthy since yeah, the 90s. Yeah, that's all sugar wealth. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that sing song kind of, ano mana, 
Yeah, but that 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 was the language of real yeah. power. Uh, oh, for I didn't know that. And 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 assumption accent has a lot of that, but it's unique. So university English, <laughs> right, which was spoken by newscasters, uh, RPN Nine's newscast before ABS-CBN came along, and then later on the World Tonight at ABS-CBN, which I also uh, anchored uh, occasionally, and and you have people like. Lauren Legarda and Angelo Castro, who then established the new Filipino English received pronunciation, it was very, very different from people like Harry Gasser and the previous generation of my newscasters. Mom. My mom was yeah, on yeah, Newswatch yeah. with Harry Gasser. Yeah. yeah, with Harry Gasser, who tended to, to speak a kind of, uh, I would say, West Coast American type of English. Like there, there were, there were kind real of West yeah. Coast, uh, yeah, West Coast identifiers. But not like Southern case. California. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, not Valley Girl, okay? <laughs> not Valley Girl. I mean, I'm talking about San Francisco. Right, know? right. But so, uh, as opposed to like Boston, you know, or New York, you know? Uh, New so, York. Yeah, that, was the, that was the previous English uh you know, sort of accent. And there is, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then it evolved. It became uh, this university English. Mm. So sort of Ateneo English, as, as they call it, uh, which is actually also spoken by graduates of other top. Uh, no, no. There are very, very strong identifiers for this in our society today. Confirmed mm. versus confirmed. You know, so but really, exactly. Really, I laugh at that. That's awful. I Laura. I can get it. No, no, no. But it, it, it is a joke because there is no such word as confirmed, right? But uh, it, it, it has become a very important identifier for us. And as Luis put it earlier, it can be completely subconscious. Completely. Yeah. We don't even, deba, the, but when we yeah. hear someone speak, we can already infer their social status, their educational background, so many things about them. And we do it actually without choosing to, right? Yeah. But it evolves, it evolves over time, I as I said. So uh, the, the provincial accent, you can laugh at it if you want, but I have always had um, amazing respect for uh, those who spoke, for instance, Filipino very fluently. and. Mm. You know, I mean, much more fluently than Manila people. Manila Tagalog is yeah. just a, it's an ask, yeah. it's a mock, yeah. right? <laughs> but, you know, I did things like yeah. I attended the Balagtasan in Bulacan. Oh, wow. With Sedfri Ordonez at the time. He was mm. still uh, active in that thing. And, oh, my God, it was just pure poetry. Uh, it, it's beautiful, isn't it? Did, did yeah, you watch the movie Respeto? If you no, ever watched Respeto, gosh, like, yeah, just the way yeah, poetry yeah. from the past, that whole tradition. So, you know who spoke okay, that so, way when I was a reporter was Blas Ople. You know, he wow. he brought speaking Tagalog to government. I mm. mean, like speaking fluent, fluent, beautiful Tagalog because everybody else, all the other technocrats were just like English, Ateneo English type of uh, people. But he spoke, and, and what is important about Blas Ople he established the idea of government being in pure Filipino, Tagalog. not Okay, 
never but, put but if I, Tagalog words, uh, English but words. But I want to ask this, though. I don't think, I mean, I think, you know, Doc shared an experience of his earlier. I shared one with my mother, whatever. But I think we're more forgiving about people who, do, who make mistakes in Tagalog than people who make mistakes in English in our, in our society, right? You know, we mentioned the example of confirm. I think certainly if we see like an influencer who's so, who's so chadeng and mayabang and then they make a mistake pronouncing an English word, we tend to, I mean, halakakan, it's really freaking hilarious, right? For weeks at a time. Or I just saw, what was it, the TikTok that, was it Chris who shared? Um, December. <laughs> it was oh. a girl who was like, right, December, yeah. right? What spell <laughs> December? And you use it in a sentence. You do not know what December is. And then someone comes in and goes, the polar bear and the grizzly bear, they're not December. I mean, this to us is our freaking <laughs> <laughs> that's, our, that's our freaking comedy. And yeah. I try to explain this to my friends abroad. And I'm like, you have no idea how long Pinoys can go on laughing at ourselves about freaking mistakes yeah. in English. Diba? Melanie Marquez. Well, I love my long-legged. Do not judge uh, my brother. Ano? He is not a book. Not diba? a book. I mean, like, this is just our thing. We can go on for hours and hours about this. And obvious, I think, I don't, you know, maybe Prof, you, you know better or APA, but I would surmise that a lot of this is from our colonial, you know, history, perhaps even under the Americans because they were the new rulers in town and this was the new marker of, you know, social if progression or whatever, education, etc. Um, also, they kind of beat the Spanish out of us at the time, no? So <laughs> I, I, I do wonder, like, why do we think it's so freaking funny to mess up in English in particular? Diba? I think you know, in a way we're all posers in a way because <laughs> English is not supposed to be our language, our native language. Although I personally, obviously, you know, I consider English to be my first language, right? Because mm. that's just how we were raised. But when you try to explain it to someone abroad, they're like, mm. it can't be your native language because you're from the Philippines. So I think there's an element of um, kind of imposter kind of syndrome there. So we're all trying yeah. to gauge each other. And like, you know, I've assimilated more than you have because you say ceremony instead of ceremony, you know, things like that, right? Well, that's, that's a great point because I was talking to one of our like really senior instructors the other day, and this was not about an accent correction class. This was just actually about um, being well understood. And she was talking to me about the importance of, of making sure people pronounce words the way they should be pronounced. But meanwhile, she's pronouncing them in ways that I don't find to my American college ear i'm like we don't say advocacy and or and organization it's like and like we say advocacy and organization so like i'm i'm, I'm stumbling on what she's telling me because i'm like wait what how how are you telling him to say it so i i just feel like it's such this kind of nobody knows where the goalposts are it's, it's just kind of this ever evolving thing i think as Apo just said right i was gonna say as Apo was saying it does evolve right that's exactly what you're talking about in world Englishes, right? As long as you, yeah. you're understood. Because we still cannot discount the fact that there is such a thing as standard English. There is standard English. It's neither American nor British, just standard English. So there's still a way to pronounce it, to, uh, to recognize it. Uh, for example, I think I would consider the English of Anderson Cooper as very standard. Even the accent is very neutral. Uh, well, he is like a Vanderbilt. 
I had a student before. Uh, he studied in America. He was born and raised in America, and then he studied here in the Philippines. So of course, he speaks American English. So I was discussing a lesson, and then when the class ended, he approached me. He said, uh, "Sir, I like uh, I like how you speak English. So why? Because you pronounce adolescent as such. Why? How do other teachers pronounce? Adolescent. They pronounce adolescent. Adolescent. And then I became conscious. Oh, he's observing my accent." <laughs> Thank God I passed this test. There are variations and there are still standard pronunciations of words. I, I wanted to dispel the notion that this, this whole thing is unique to the Philippines or to no, colonize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. It, it exists very much in, in other countries. Oh, it, yeah, um, for sure. I went to high school in the United States and the, the type of high school that I went to had kids from all over the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And there was definitely accentism there. Uh, one of my New York City born and bred classmates was saying, you know, it's so interesting to me uh, that these kids from Georgia and Tennessee who speak in these very thick Southern accents in Texas are actually intelligent. I, you know, I, I never... <laughs> I could never take someone seriously if they spoke yeah. in this Southern drawl, but, oh, but these guys are really intelligent. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, There's yeah, a bias has... there already. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I may talk slow, but I ain't yeah. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the uh, English are, are notorious for this. Of course, they, yeah. they will never admit it, but oh boy, do they really oh, judge yeah. people based on oh, yeah. accent, right? And, in the, and, in the um, beginning. What's interesting, what's interesting is that uh, in Oxford and Cambridge, all my mm. friends who went to Oxford or Cambridge or one of those schools, the uh, standard accent is the working class ass. Kind of as a mm. rebellion to the plummy, come over to the heights. You know, <laughs> they, 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 that's like uh, social death if you speak like yeah. that. Right? So all of these societies, all societies all over the world, there is this thing. Yes, I totally agree. I would question whether there's really such a thing as standard English. Right. right? The Indians say, yes, there, there is a particular Indian English, but even that has a lot of variations, right? Okay. The, English, the Indian accents are all, I mean, uh, very different uh, from each other in English. Huh? In English. So, you know, I think we, we need to understand that it, there's always going to be diversity. There's always going to be difference. And it's very, yes. very difficult for us to consciously stop ourselves from judging people based on this. And I, I actually want to throw something out there, which I think adds a very interesting dimension to the idea of accent. And I think, Papa, something you were saying when you were trying to describe university accents, it's not really just about an ethnicity or a, or a race. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I thought about when I was thinking about the show was the idea of a gay accent, which. Mm. Um, oh, what a great used, point. Yeah. used to be so much more pronounced. It's funny. Yeah. There was a show that I watched a few years ago, which kind of was somewhat well-known called do I sound gay? It was a documentary. Mm-hmm. And his, his conclusion was basically that when he listened to recordings of himself as a kid, he didn't sound gay. It was something that he kind of subconsciously put on after a while as a way to kind of belong and, and to signal 
belonging to a group, even though that group in that time was very, very discriminated against and a gay accent seemed like something all when I was growing up, it seemed like most gay men had a gay accent. It's no longer the case because in some ways, like when you listen to young kids now, I feel like the reason I can't tell the gay guys um, from the straight guys is that the straight guys also kind of sound gay. So I feel like there's been a kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like a, so that would be appropriation, motherfucker. Like that's our yeah. thing. Don't even. What but, the hell? But, <laughs> yeah. But I think it proves that accent is this really kind of um, fluid thing, right? Yeah. Like gender. For sure. A, I do. Behind it. Well, I want to add to that really quickly because I do think to Apa's point, absolutely every culture has this. Luis made that, you know, when we started the show. Um, to me, and this is something we always, always bring up, and especially, for example, in the episode we did on race with Vicente Rafael and uh, Lila Shahani. Yes, yes, yes. But when you bring in power to the equation, then we have real harm that could be done to people, right? So... If we have immigrants, for example, who are marked by their accents and therefore not being given certain access to social services or access to education or access to jobs, then it's a whole different thing, right? I don't find, I think historically in the Philippines, we might have had more of that. Like I can really see in my head or have vague memories in my head of people being shut out because of the way they spoke, shut out of certain social groups in school, like really, really ostracized and made fun of, right? And that kind of bullying marked them and probably closed some doors for some people, right? I do think now we're a little more open. I do think, interestingly enough, when going to Bambina's point of imposter syndrome, just trying to think very casually right now in my head, when we tend to get harshest, in our humor and our critiques of people who make mistakes in a certain accent or a certain language is when people are mayabang to begin with. Like there's an assertion of I'm so worldly and I'm so matalino and ganyan ganyan. But then when I speak palpak pala, right? Like what Chris was sharing, I'm teaching you how to pronounce it correctly. That kind of thing I think will drive us into hysterics. Because you sound like you should know. Like you're making mayabang. You're making yabang there. Nang galing-galing mo. Yung palapalpak, diba? So I wonder if that's more where we've headed recently than actually shutting people out of opportunity, which would be great. I just wanted to say, it, it brings back that same issue that, you know, a standard, you know, for us, whatever that means, anything other than that is inferior. Mm. I mean, that's, that's how we see it, right? And that's, that's the problem because... A standardization of something then means that everything that does not fit that rule is inferior. And or fortunately different. enough, I think to your point, um, Laura, I think is what's really interesting is that in general, I feel that in the Philippines, we understand that English generally is not our first language, mm-hmm. even if we were raised uh, you know, in an English-speaking household. And we are able to just laugh at ourselves. I think generally, I think that's a, that's a very Latino part of us. Where, you know, again, I lived in, in, in Latin America for almost 20 years and the accent uh, varieties there are even stronger, I would say, because you can identify parts of the city where you come from, um, you know, your, your socioeconomic levels, uh, schools. It's really incredible how detailed these accents can become and people are aware of basically, right? Um, right. But people are aware of these accents when, it's, when we're looking at the people in power. Because right. they know that that's their standard, so then I can identify anything that's not like me. 
And so they're the ones who end up uh, giving the discrimination again uh, mm. towards people who are not in power or who are not at the same social level or the same educational level. Towards what Chris was saying, Kanina, about a quote, gay accent, right? Because I, I think yeah. that's really fascinating. Because in the States especially, obviously this is not necessarily our case here, but there were all these studies. I don't know how, how robust they were, how randomized or whatever. But for, for example, when you sent in the exact same CV, the exact same resume for a job, if your name, quote, sounded black, right? Or wasn't a typical, like, typical, again, typical white Brian, whatever, and it it sounded quote ethnic. They showed these people would not get a callback. The exact same resume with a quote normal name on it would. So I do think that there is a danger when accentism, language, all these things, if there's a power element to it, and then you can really enact on that exclusion. No, there's an interesting case of reverse discrimination that you yes. may remember because. It- it actually became national. I'm talking about Rica Pedrosa. No, Veronica Pedrosa, uh, who, who read the news for ABS-CBN for many years. Rica was brought by her mother, Pedrosa, to the UK, uh, actually to London, in like 1970 or 71, when she was like three years old. She grew up entirely there and did not come back uh, to the Philippines until around 1986 or 87. She's uh, ethnically completely Filipino and, and looks it, but culturally, she's, she went to British. Oxford, right? Uh, and she doesn't speak with a very upper-class English accent. As I said, the Oxford-Cambridge thing is sort of a, a variant of the working-class uh, English uh, accent or middle-class English accent, if you will, right? People used to write to us at ABS-CBN and say, can you get that woman off the air? with her fake English accent, you know? Who the hell does she think she is? This, to me, really shows the insecurities and the pride of Filipinos when it comes to accent. It's very, very important to people here. It, it just is. It shouldn't be. But my point is it shouldn't be, right? But it is. This is something, I mean, it's the opposite, you know, uh, of, of what we were talking about, where if you have this accent, then it, it will be, uh, you'll be li- less likely to get employment or, or, or something like this. She had the ultimate power accent. E- even Americans look up to the English accent. You look at all of these movies, I mean, and all of the authority figures and the power figures there have English accents. You, you look and commercials at- and commercials on TV. Yeah. If you want something to sound good and to sound prestigious, it has to be English, British English. Yeah. Yeah, the Pedrosa would, case might be more of an exception, though, Appa. I can't think of many Filipinos who are looked down upon. Well, you know what? Also, maybe context. I think because it was a news organization. Pa, speaking to Filipino people, I think you're right in that that pride and that ability to relate to the person was so important for the audience. And that might have been alienating to them. You know? No, and, and remember, culturally, Filipinos, we are American, period. And then this is, I mean, we are a colony well, of well, Americans. Well, I mean, according really, to one of our all. episodes, we're halo halo. We are halo well, halo. We are. Yes, we are. <laughs> but we, I mean, even if we were colonized by the Brits for about a year or so. Um, true. Basically, what happens is, no, because we identify the British as Mayabang. And so if your accent is British, then you're Mayabang and, you know, get out. Because our standard is American. And, we, you know, it's, it's just that. 
Accent is, we need to recognize accents as well as a tool, right? People have said this to me, Lao, I'm sure you've used this. Um, we will switch our accents depending on who we're with. And, and it's just an issue, I and think. And maybe not even also. consciously. Not even consciously. Sure. It will just kind of happen. Agree. Right? Absolutely agree. And, and it's not even just the accents, but it's also the vocabulary we use. Right? Because I know that if I'm using, if I'm speaking to a British person, I'm going to use chips and I'm not going to use fries. And if I'm going to be with so-and-so, I'm going to switch this and switch that. So, I mean, it is also a tool to, to, to become, uh, you know, not only belong to a specific group, but also to take um, a central sort of part in that and, and the subculture. So, yes, gay culture. I mean, you're basically in, 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 a, in, a, in a gay reunion and not only do we put up the accent, but we make it even stronger depending on what we're talking about, right? So it becomes that. It becomes a form of entertainment as well, um, which is yeah, really fun. And, and, and I think and when belonging. accents are used which in I, that manner, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Which I it's, think that you and Chris pointed out as a way of belonging. But go ahead, Chris. I wanted to add to that, but go ahead. No, no, I, I just wanted to say to Louise that I really resonate with what you said, because in some ways, the, the way I'm speaking English now is um, a 20-year act I've put on, but the mask has sort of glued onto the, my face. So now it's just how I speak. But when I moved to the States when I was 12 years old, I got f made fun of mercilessly for my Pinoy accent, accent in English. So now I speak like this. And... I do find when I come back here and I've been here now for a, a couple of years straight because of the pandemic, when I would come back, I would sort of like lapse back into my more mm -hmm. Filipino accent. But at the same time, I could hear myself and I was like, am, am I being inauthentic? And then I would get really right. confused. Yes. And, then I, and then I'm like, am I just trying to like, am I trying to please my, my interlocutors right. by, by yes. kind of, is this condescending? And it just became this real mind fuck. And so oh, now right. I just talk like this all the time, even though this accent I'm speaking to you in used to be a fake accent. It just now became real because I've been talking like this for 20 years and it's hard to get out of <laughs> So to your, to your earlier point, Chris, about immigrants, children of immigrants. So, you know, I was talking earlier about, so half my life was spent in the States too. Then half was here with my family here, which is very Filipino and Cebuano, whatever, but my dad was American, et cetera. Going then to the States and not knowing where I fit because I wasn't quite American. I wasn't quite white. And then finding a home in more immigrant communities, right? Or people of color. What I find a commonality is something we've talked about also in another episode, which is code switching. But it is also this hyper awareness of, of like that. Parang when I, ito, see, when I lapse into my local, my real accent from when I was growing up, part of my head is like, Okay, is this an authentic moment? Am I trying to please somebody? Is it a performative, appropriative thing? A mm. lot of people in power don't really have this, this moment in their brains when they're thinking, am I appropriating? Am I being authentic? Am I just trying to fit in? That's decidedly a code switching thing that happens among people who don't feel like they belong, right? Certainly as a woman in certain power structures in the United States, as a half, as a biracial woman in the United States, the way I spoke was entirely different. The way I sat, how I dressed, everything. And it was a pretty conscious choice. When I come back to Manila, if I'm visiting with my cousins in Bogo, it's an entirely different thing as well. In fact, it wasn't, was it? It might have been Apa. It might have been your, your sister's husband who used to joke, oh, which Laura are we going to get today? <laughs> because it was so schizophrenic. <laughs> you weren't sure who would come out. And 
And a lot of times, and it was funny, I just looked this up. It was that actress who was in X-Files. What was her name? The redhead? Julian Julian Anderson. Right. So apparently she's in Sex Education on Netflix, right? And she is speaking in this really, really strong British accent. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Is she, what? Is she putting it on? And so I looked it up and she grew up half her life there, half her life in the States. And similar to Chris, part of it was put on and now she kind of shifts back and forth fairly easily. Mm -hmm. And it's called being bi-dialectical. And what Mm -hmm. I've read further is people who are bi-dialectical tend then to develop this ability to switch from accent to accent quite naturally without the intent of trying to copy the person, right? Because that's different too. When you want to do blackface by trying to sound a certain race or whatever, that's entirely different. Being multi-dialectical is, voila, this is how I had to survive. Because if I didn't speak like this, I was made fun of. If I didn't speak like that, I wasn't in, right? Interesting. And it's, very, a way, very and it's a way you can, uh, you know, the reality is you, you, you feel, I do, sorry, at least in that way, um, I can express myself better when I am communicating with a specific accent. So I will make my point across stronger if I all of a sudden, you know, bring out the super heavy Tagalog accent or the Spanish accent or the whatever. So, so it is an issue as well of how we like to communicate as individuals. And I think that's, that's very, very important as well. I mean, that's part of our personalities. Well, Madonna developed a British accent when she married Guy Ritchie, right? Okay, wait. (laughs) I'm shaping up the idea that that's what I am. I'm sorry. No. (laughs) This code switching or accent switching, it's common to everybody. All right. And and actually it happens kind of unconsciously. so I don't know if you can know this guy, Monchette Olives. He also yeah, used to work at ABS-CBN. Yeah. So he actually was one of the first people who started the Filipino channel. No, uh, It was, I think, then called ABS-CBN International. It wasn't yeah. America-centric yet. But he, he was also, uh, as part of that department, tasked with talking to people all over the world to sell ABS-CBN programming, right? Uh, places largely where there were Filipino communities, but also buying programming from abroad. And I remember one time we were in the office and then he came, he came into the office. He had his own office. No? And he said, shit, pare, I don't know what the hell happened here. He says, he's total conyo, right? So uh, I said, why, why, why? I was talking to this Indian guy and without realizing it, my accent began to mimic his. And I, I was talking like him at one yes. point. He said no, to no, me, no. Like, oh, are you making fun of me? You know? no, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. was like, no, 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 no. But uh, the point I'm making is we unconsciously mimic those that we're talking to. We, we do. I, I would spend a month sometimes in Davao and, and come mm. back saying, ay, kuyaw man. You know, and, and yeah, you know, I got their expressions with, with, and I didn't realize it, you know. Hey, you know, Bambin, I'm sure you're, you know, three minutes speaking to a Frenchman and at the fifth, you're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I think, you know, I don't, interestingly enough, so I was talking about my friend Fergal, who is from Dublin and we were so close in college and he was my drink, big drinking buddy. And he still is. And because we hung out for hours and hours and hours and hours, when I hear an Irish brogue, I tend to pick it up quickly. Right. Fergal, for as long as he's lived in freaking New York, I'm like, Ferg, are you keeping the accent like on purpose to date? Because it's been so freaking long. Chris knows Fergal. Am I wrong? 
he still sounds like he's fresh off. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so I, I think it's interesting because I, 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 back to my point about like, I was not sure what I was doing when I was code switching because I wasn't sure if it was coming from a pleasing place or like a, like condescending place. And I feel like, I, I mean, I feel like Fergal has a very kind of self-assured quality to him. And <laughs> I don't know. If Poor Fergal. I'm going to be like, Ferg, you got to listen to this minute, this yeah. point in, because we're talking about you. Yeah. No, but, but in some ways I feel like um, it maybe comes from confidence in a way. I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's interesting too. That's interesting. Uh, we too. I don't think that. So we call it mm-hmm. automaticity. So for example, let's say I speak Manila Tagalog and then Camila Tagalog. Once I go home to Cavite, I automatically switch my accent unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So I begin speaking the Cavite uh, Tagalog. And then when I go back to Manila, so I speak again mm-hmm. the Manila Tagalog. So it's automaticity. And sometimes we also have accommodation. So we try to accommodate our guests. So mm-hmm. unconsciously, we imitate the way they speak. We try to accommodate them because we know how Filipinos are very welcoming. We give the best treatment to our guests. So even their language, we try to accommodate it. We try to adjust it to their language, which is sometimes just understood as something that's, uh, they think that we're mocking them, but actually we're accommodating them. We're trying to entertain them. Even my Australian friend, uh, when he stays here, um, he acquires Philippine English accent. And when he goes back to Australia, his parents would ask him, why are you speaking in a very Philippine English way again? So, in a way, um, because he's a guest of the Philippines, he accommodated the Philippine English accent. And then uh, with my friend also, my experience with him was, whenever we talk, he would say, uh, excuse me, uh, come again. So I said, is there something wrong with my accent? And then his Australian friend came over. And then every time one would say something, the other would say, excuse me? Say it again. So I realized it's uh, it's part of their culture. It's a part of their discourse. It's not necessarily because there's something wrong with my accent. So there, we try to accommodate the language of other people, and sometimes we have we automatically shift from one accent to another based on the linguistic ecology of the place where we are currently in. Right. Which is not the same as making fun of people to make fun of them because they are different. So do we do we consider accentism um like a subset of racism? I think it no, can be. I, I think it can be. Um, this whole discussion, I've been trying to diffuse the whole thing because now we unconsciously do it, right? There is a there is an aspect of accessism that can be used against uh, race, right? But yeah. actually, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a built in thing. Uh, if, if it's built in, it's because we are racist, not because we are accentist. You see that? Yes, yes, that? for sure. Yes, yeah, it's true. Yes, that true. I agree yes. with. I agree. The racism comes first. How it manifests is in that many is. ways. Potentially yes. including accent. Yes. I, that I think that I'll get yeah. bored with. Sure. I think Thank that you. accents are about um, in-group and out-group, not necessarily racism. Like it's kind of a way that we define who is in our group and who is not in our group, whether that's gay, whether that's Athenian, whether that's like from this part of Cavite or mm-hmm. I feel like, and then I feel like sometimes it can like metastasize into something worse. 
But I feel like to Appa's point, it's kind of, it's just human beings are like, um, I think we're wired to seek out like, okay, who's, who am I like? What's my group? And for sure, is, is a very easy way to kind of um, determine that. You know, I can't believe I'm going to quote this because it's a little bit, um, it's not, not the most robust science, but it, you know, it's good. It's a book called Nurture Shock and it has a lot of um, studies that have been quoted in multiple articles. And they were talking about teaching kids about race in the United States. And for a while there, the approach was, quote, color blindness to try to keep teaching kids. No, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all the same. The thing is, to Chris's point, you know, kids aren't stupid. They notice difference. They notice that, yeah, we sound different, we look different, et cetera. And the thing is, if you don't actually talk about that and discuss the difference in a good way, right? Say, look, we look different, but we are ultimately the same. We're human beings, et cetera, et cetera. If you just try to gloss over that, it's actually, it's actually worse because people do, quote, naturally tend to look for people who look and sound like they do. And therefore, they were looking at a lot of these schools in the United States where the segregation was happening organically. Because kids were just naturally going towards people who kind of looked like themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the white kids were kind of confused by, but I don't see race. And so it became a harder discussion to understand mm -hmm. how they were participating in structures of power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So one of the things that the authors recommended, which I thought was really cute, is point out the difference. So when my kids were young, you know, we would look even at the Labradors and be like, see, that one's yellow. <laughs> that one is brown. But they're both Labradors and they both get along. And then on Sesame Street, you'd have Elmo talking about his red fur and Whoopi Goldberg talking about her black skin or whatever. <laughs> I do think it's important to recognize the difference. And I, yeah, Chris, I'd agree with you. It's not the same. And we're all the same. I do think people will look for sameness as a, as a way of bonding and who is right. in my circle and who isn't. But I do think you're right, that there is that potential, meta you know, that, that awful mutation that can happen if it is yeah. also but part of a, you know, racist reality. I, I read this super fascinating study, which basically kind of makes a point that like um, our ear for accents is actually deeper than our response to race because there was a study done. I can't remember. It's, it's the name of the book is called How You Say It by Catherine Kinsler. Uh, it's part of my How You Say It by Catherine, Catherine who? Sorry. Kinsler, Kinsler, K-I-N-D-L-E-R. And oh, she cites this study, which kind of blew my mind, where basically uh, they did this research on kids where they showed a black woman speaking in normal um, standard American English and then a white woman speaking in heavily accented English. And then they kind of showed, um, or no, I'm sorry, they showed kids speaking in those, um, in those different accents. With different races, but then they showed adults, but they had scrambled who had the accent. And basically, the kids thought that the continuity of the accent was more indicative of who was the same person rather than the color of their skin. If I'm, I, I don't think I described that correctly, oh. but it's, it's oh. really that the kids focused on the accent more than the face. So they thought that the black kid grew up to be the white woman because they had the yeah. same accent. Interesting. Oh. Oh, I think that's fascinating. I'd love to read that. Yeah. Oh, Jan. So what's the conclusion? We're, we're cariñoso. <laughs> <laughs> By default. By default, Filipinos are still more cariño than we are. 
of, on my feet now. I keep getting things, maybe because researching this episode or something about, or, or maybe because I'm moving, right? That all these things about American English versus British English. And it's hilarious because I, you know, I lived in London previously. At one point, I was married to a Brit. I lived in Hong Kong for many years. I, when I was in Paris, I worked at UNESCO. I mean, I was like, you know, I was, well, my part-time jobs was to be as an audio typist. So, it, you know, you would hear what was discussed and, you know, the whole Iran, Iraq, Kashmir uh, thing, it was going on then in the, 19, in the late 1980s, the way it's going on now, right? And Palestine and Israel. So same thing that they would, we would be transcribing these same documents and resolutions. And it was there, it was, it had to be in British English, right? It had mm. to be British English. So, you know, I'm also, you know, a mix as well. Like I, I spell things a certain way or I'll have to again now because I'm moving back there. But, um, and also certain things that I, I don't like saying Z, for example, I say, I say Z, right? But, you know, but all these things are coming out on my feed, like these TikTok saying like a, a British person would say, okay, now say this to an American, water. <laughs> and then I'll say water, <laughs> daughter daughter <laughs> and obviously you're drawn to the british accent because you feel it's more refined you know it's it sounds more intelligent and all that but like apa was saying i think it's an inherent bias already you know? yeah but it's hilarious so funny. i just watched my fair, my fair lady recently yes. and we were just cracking yes. up at that exact thing right? It's so funny. I know. And then there's a lovely guy who I love um, watching on, on YouTube named Trey Crowder, who is hardcore yeah. D Tennessee. Oh, and yeah, he has a thing called uh, liberal redneck and he's, he's brilliant, brilliant, highly progressive, really, really smart guy, thickest accent. And I share him regularly. Cause I'm like, if y'all need to hear this message with this accent from this kind of person, I'm okay with that. It's, it's about the message, you know? But the one I love yes. is that Medu Hassan, who's Pakistani origin, British, Pakistani, but on MSNBC. And he has like the mm. best act. I mean, and, and he's also really clever, like the way he dissects the news and all that. And the way he interviews, because he really gets at you and, you know, um, especially Republicans. <laughs> so, <you're fudging. laughs> so your your favorite news accent is not APA. APA ang pin, no? Well, I was not on the news right now. Yeah. <laughs> that was okay. years ago. Last no, year, I like, I, like preferred Appa, I preferred Appa and Palibhasa Lalake. Here, here, <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> See, it's still the standard, Appa. Still. <laughs> but, you know, I had to grapple with that my entire career in television, which ended a long I'm time sure. ago, right? I'm sure. But, uh, I believe you. For different things, hosting mm-hmm. Binibini Pilipinas, oh, reading yeah. news, you know. Palibasa Lalake, I needed to have all of these, this catalog of, of uh, accent personas, so to speak. Yeah. You know? It's a survival, you know, it's a survival instinct yeah. in a way, right? You're just switching through. That's why you were saying, Chris was saying, it's fluid. You, you've got to, you know, make your way through certain situations and adapt the right accent to the particular situation. But again, exactly. sorry, and I think I want to I want to reverse this. You know, I, I don't know if as, as we're nearing sort of the end of the episode, but the reality is that's a, that that that's that can happen, Bambina, if we are the people who can actually have the catalogs 
But what you have not spoken a lot about is when you don't have that in your arsenal, right? When you're coming into Manila for the first time, I mean, Doc, you know, you, you were saying this a while ago. We, there are the people who come to the national capital region um, for the first time. Um, you don't have the ability. You might have not had the exposure. You might not have yeah. had the friends, um, you know, and watched all of these movies uh, to have that arsenal. So, I mean, the flip side is, you know, people who have that accent are for sure laughed at, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so how, yeah. how can they be equipped? And then, um, you know, uh, Chris, maybe this is, this is more for what you do, right? Because um, people understand that. And, it, and it's also a way of, of, uh, of you know, improving, um, get, getting yourself more equipped um, for your future professional life. Right. I mean, that, that's, I think, also what uh, what our, our, our um, the person who um, Lau, the person who wrote on I was just going to bring it back sorry, to Dustin. our, our fan, yeah, Dustin. Yeah, to, Dustin to, to bring it back to what Dustin's point was. Right. Which is, you know, people who don't have that ability to code switch are laughed at. And, and so, you know, how important is that right, for them to recognize this move forward? Is, is it an issue moving forward? Not anymore. I have two points. One is the younger generation today are more tolerant of different accents. So unlike the older generation, like my generation, they're more tolerant. They're all open. They're all exposed to this uh, political correctness thing. So that's one. Number two, the younger people today are more exposed to YouTube and the media. So probably it's probably that they already acquire a British English accent or American English accent just like what happened to my friend's son my friend is uh my friend's uh as old as i am in her 40s and then she has this son a 10 year old son and then i asked her son how old are you and he said 10 so i was uh, i was surprised because he had this aspirated p uh my friend is from Quezon and she speaks heavy uh she speaks english with a heavy tagalog accent just like mine but uh her son she, her son had the aspirated T, and I think that's something he acquired. He did not learn it. He acquired it. So I asked her, how come your son is a, has an American English accent? It's so unlike yours. So we're really good friends. That, so she knew I was making fun of her. But then that point, I think it's because of her son's exposure to okay. media, social media, YouTube. He was able to acquire the accent. He was very young, and we have this critical period hypothesis from the age of 2 to 13 in which if your child is exposed to a certain language between those ages, chances are he will be he or she will be able to acquire near-native fluency uh, of that accent. So I guess that's what's, ha- what's happened to our son. So for the younger people today, they are more politically correct and they are more exposed to various media. So I guess uh, they have the facility to acquire various accents yeah and they may I, not have the confidence but maybe eventually it'll come out right i mean yeah they'll yes. learn to adapt they'll learn to adapt yeah. well i i actually wonder if filipinas will have the last laugh in this kind of back and forth in terms of the accent <laughs> because like like our 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 accent has has more and more universal acclaim as the most intelligible 
formal. Yes, that's true. That's why Korean, Chinese, and Japanese study here. And as anyone, this is I, this is nothing against any Indian whatsoever. But as anyone who, who knows who who has tried to call their bank in the states, the right. difference yeah. between talking to a Filipino and an Indian, yeah. it's really call it's day. Um, and I, I love the sound of an Indian accent, but somehow when you're talking money and like something might go wrong, you just <laughs> you are nervous. so funny. We're just, yeah. <laughs> Hello, American Express. Right. You, okay. Well, well, we'll talk about that maybe another time. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, my, my kids were raised in South Africa and Hong Kong, right? Mostly, mostly raised there. And the funny thing is that they, they could acquire the accents that they heard, but they, I, maybe it's a third culture thing. Their default accent when they get asked now, they just say Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so it, it's kind of become the expat, expat accent in a way. Okay, but so Dustin, what I what I want to say significant or specifically to Dustin is for the ones who still make fun of the Visayan accent and stuff. Mga gago lang sila because sa totoo lang, excuse me, Bisaya din yung pamilya ko, ano? Lapu-lapu was from there. I'm sorry, but the Bisayans owned the Philippines before the freaking Tagals did. So, yun lang masasabi ko dyan. And then what Apa said kanina, diba, there were many, ac- many accents that we make fun of locally now. We're actually accents of power. At one point, to his point, these things naman evolve and they're fluid and whatever. So, yeah, if anyone gives you any grief, you know, call me. <laughs> we'll have a talk <laughs> okay folks I think you know this is a great amount of stuff for people to chew on I want to ask all of our guests to maybe share your like closing thoughts on this like what is it I don't know what is your takeaway what do you want to share what would you love to maybe have folks talk more about I think um, this this uh, podcast is great because one of the problems of accentism is that so few people are aware of it. I mean, well, nobody even true. knows. Nobody even identifies uh, these things. Some people just don't even have an ear for it. You know, so mm. uh, I know a lot of Filipinos who think that they speak accentless English. You know, <laughs> because, because that's what they hear yeah. from around them, right? Uh-huh. And uh, they don't see the difference between what they speak. And what, let's say, the characters on a TV shows are, are speaking on, on Netflix. They don't yep. see it. They don't see it. So awareness mm-hmm. of accentism or accents even to begin with is a giant mm-hmm. step. And I think people should be aware of it because it can be used to discriminate. And it shouldn't be. That's true. That's right? so true. It shouldn't be. I think That's as so a true. way to adapt, you know, the ability to code switch, to, to take on mm-hmm. different accents to make yourself more intelligible is a very valuable talent. It certainly served me very well during my broadcast career. So it was financially valuable to me, you know. But the main thing is people should be aware of it and, and shouldn't use it to judge or we just need to know that all of us need to change the way we speak depending on the context that we're in. We don't need to, but we can. If we have the yeah. ability, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Apa. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, see Apa Umpinpo now. Patron. Patron at ABS-CBN. Maraming salamat.
wise words. I actually like that I can code switch. I do, I do take pride in that. I don't think of it as a disability. Kung wise words, dapat si Bambina yon. <laughs> well, wise words. Tama, tama. I've been switching all my life without, without realizing it, you know? So, it's true. Why? It is a survival skill, but I, I don't... Re- I, actually, thank you to Dustin because we, we didn't even consider it that it was a thing. That's so until, true. Until he wrote that. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Dustin, for bringing it to our attention. Here's what I want to say as my kind of lasting on accents, like far from an accent correction class, I fully look forward to the day when John Robert Powers all over the world teaches classes in how to sound like a really good Filipino because we have the best English accent. Bagong mission statement po <laughs> ng John Robert Power. Narinig ninyo po first time dito sa Flipping the Narrative. Salamat right. po, John Robert Flipping. Power, everybody. Flipping. <laughs> Flipping the narrative. Yeah. Flipping the narrative. Bambina, you can lay the groundwork in London or in the <laughs> UK. I love it. Because so yeah. they're in need yeah. of a neutral accent. So we'll, 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 we'll set it straight with a Filipino accent. Hello, Buckingham Palace. It is time to change your accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my final word is no one should be discriminated because of their accents. And we already mm. recognize the existence of world Englishes. There. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Be proud, man. May mga res baka dito, Dustin. In other words... <laughs> <laughs> oh, and don't forget that the the discrimination accentism as Apa pointed out is not just in English or Filipino or, or no, you know, no. that's it's true in other in other languages as well. That's very true. If you've never yet seen, you guys should look up the Monty Python sketch where they they um, impersonate philosophy professors at an Australian university. Oh my god, Monty Python is the best. I'm so happy. Sorry, Lou, did you wanna did you wanna leave us off or well, with your know, last it's word? very, very interesting. Obviously, I, we could keep on going forever. I think um, you know, there there are really important things to recognize as well that accents provide people with um you know, a, a perception of, let's say, improvement to their lives, just the ability to, 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 to conquer somewhere. Um, you know, I've been exposed to the Arab world a little bit in both trips and, you know, friends, et cetera, et cetera. And, and a lot of them really see um, being able to pronounce English properly uh, aspirational. You know, it's the ability for them to move forward in life in a different manner. Uh, we saw this as well with our episode of Beauty Queens, where some of them really had the ability of joining these contests as a way out and to provide for their families. Um, for right. other people, accents and, social and achieving mobility. accents, social mobility. And so, you know, I think it's important to recognize that as well. And it will always be um, something that will heavy on a lot of people and, and will provide um, something to look forward to in terms of that, of advancement, right? So recognizing that as well is important. And, and, you know, again, we go back to context for all of this um, and recognizing that as a bias. As long as we all know that we have that bias and, and the awareness, that's, what's, that's what should lead the way we interact with our fellow people. And, Yoan, and world peace. 
Thank you. And world peace. <laughs> April 15. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys so much. Um, basically, that's it. And then, you know, we'll stay on and chat a little longer. But Appa and Prof and Chris, I mean, I loved having you on. Thank you so much. I really, really, really loved where we went with this, which yeah. was kind of cool. You know, it was pretty brave. So, yeah. <laughs> Salam. Until we flip again. Until yeah. we flip again. Thank Until you. Until we flip again. again. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for Thanks, all those guys. insights. All right, guys. Thanks so much. I hope that was uh, thank fun you, for you. Everyone. That was really fun. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very we'll much. We'll let you thank know you. when it's out. Yeah. Great. Okay, so we do our final thoughts. Interesting. Appa said about the first classes. It's true as well because there's um up to a certain point i think here in this society they'll accept you but like that thing about having a british accent they're probably saying you know you're trying too hard already so Maybe. it's already fake whereas I, right but i don't know if i'd say reverse classism i don't think it is i really don't no, think no, it no, is no, because, I, because if it's if it's if it's if it's british you're mayabang but if you have a spanish accent or do the coño thing you're in that didn't right. happen I all the time. when I was working for a newspaper here I was it was also reverse kind of a reverse elitism or something because so I think I think you know to Chris's point he said accents are a way of belonging right so I do think that there are times when you have someone who looks particularly Pinay whatever that means let's say someone who looks more Indo-Malay more what we think of as traditionally Pinay yep. who has a very thick English accent she might look so other that she feels alien. She doesn't feel like she belongs. She's not part of our community. She's not one of us. To me, that's not the same thing as reverse classism, right? Because classism implies a certain level, again, of power and wealth that you of a certain class that is the ruling class can absolutely keep people out of certain areas of privilege, right? So that's why I'm, I'm just chafing a little at the idea of reverse any kind of ism, because I do think that that tends to elide the real power behind it, no? But I do agree with you, Bams, very much that there is an otherization at play. There yeah. is still a marker of, you're not like us. You're not like us. No, you sound not, it's not just, it. no, but it's not just, that's why I say it's reverse classism or reverse elitism or something, because it's not just, you're not like us. You're not like us, but you think you're better than us. Yeah, so it's, it's more mayabang. It's more there, cultural But still, what can I do? You're still going to have all no, the doors exactly. of privilege open to you. Right, yeah. so no, that's sure. not. I mean, yes, but yeah, yeah, okay. In that in that sense, I see it, but it, it's yeah. yeah, I don't know. But it's otherization. And, and, yeah. and yeah. Veronica Pedrosa ended up in CNN, right? I mean, yeah. So that, that's what I mean. Parang if it's really the kind of shut shutting someone out, not talagang it will close doors for them. Iba na yon. No, but if it's not within a certain milieu, also. You know, that's, that's, why, that's why she had to go back to international, right? That's where she was appreciated and accepted. So. Yeah, but I do think that that's, that's otherization. That's not, you don't, you know, that's, yeah. you don't quite, you don't quite fit with us, but not, you are less than us and therefore stupid. And therefore, no, you can never work. Oh, but but if they're the power yeah. structure within the organization saying, oh, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us just because you lived abroad and you came back. They have the power to actually, within that organization, to actually, you know, bring up shit and, you know, and make it, make, make your working life. I mean, that's happened to me. So. No, but that's, that's exactly the same thing we talked about in the first episode. 
I mean, who do you think you are? Are you Filipino, right? No, I mean, it's really, right. it's, it's, I really but, think yeah. it's the other issue. But. And I think, I think also we have to remember the exception does not make the rule, right? The rule. So no, for sure. I will definitely be also otherized in certain Filipino milieus where I yeah. might actually really be shut out or made fun of or whatever. Oh, no, for but, sure, but as a general but, rule, I am not going to be, that's not going to be representative of. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that it's also very subtle. Like they, they probably can't express themselves, but that's also why they do it. And they try to, you know, push you away. Yeah. Fair. But I, I, I just, I don't see it as classism per se. I see it classism so specifically as, you do not belong in this class, which yeah. is the ruling class. Kasi. So, and it's specific not just to a person, but to a class of people. That to me, I okay, think is a key thing. thing also, reverse, you represent, maybe, but you represent a certain group of people. It's the grouping, I think, that's also important. Not just in, my, in my situation, what, what, what compounded it was, it was also the threat that they felt to themselves that I was coming in with all my foreign security experience. That's also just insecurity. You know what I mean? Yeah, insecurity, obviously. But, yeah. but it's not like the, you know, a bunch of people who look like Bambina, as beautiful as you are, and having certain racial markers and certain education and class. A group of you are not going to be excluded. You know what I mean? Like you're not an excluded group of people from from most classes is what i'm saying oh, exactly like so I for would, me i don't have the option to say screw you guys i'm out of here you know what i, I mean because had that option exactly no door is, it's true i mean it's you know measure of privilege that no doors would, would close mm -hmm. in my face yeah, and i should sure. walk away from that but i'm just not right. everybody also has that you know yes oh mm -hmm. for damn sure but yeah so i really like that the accents kind of went to their most nefarious potential right where they really can keep doors shut out like in this case you were talking about Mambina and and papa was sharing but in other cases it really is a welcoming or or what did prof say parang it's a way of accommodating because yeah. we want someone to feel like comfortable well, yes, you're, you're trying to you're, you're trying to put the i mean just well, how do you say it um what's the idiom here um level the playing field right i mean the reality yeah. is hey I, i'm gonna exactly. try to make things comfortable for you so that nobody stands out and i think yeah. that to me is what i take home today the ability of using accents to either even out our relationships or make them different depending on on why we're using them and i think that's really really important you know my mom you know first time she went to the state whatever and she had to buy she was smoking obviously a big smoker at the time she'd go into a shop and say can i have marlboro <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> yep. You know, because she's yeah. going from here. No, the other thing she would say, like, if you, you'd say in the state, um, what's your name? And she'd say Olivares. And they'd be like, what? What? And she'd have to change her accent, say Olivares. And they would get it, right? And right. then, but she says, it, no, it's changed so much now in the States because of the influx of Hispanic. And if you actually say Olivares, they'll be like, what? <laughs> you have to say <laughs> Olivares. Ah, okay. <laughs> you know. So it evolves. It's true. It evolves. Yeah, it does evolve. I remember being in, in boarding school in the States and me thinking, here I am with an American or a white American sounding last name, looking the way I do, being who I was in the Philippines, going to boarding school and thinking, I'm so going to fit in, right? 
And I get there and I realize, putang and I really look like fresh off the boat, immigrante, whatever. Like they're all, where the hell are you from? What the hell are you wearing? All the music I thought was cool. They were like, um, <laughs> that's like ratchet stuff. None of us listens to. And all the stuff they were mentioning, I was like, <laughs> like I was such a dork, right? And so for the first time coming out of the Philippines, thinking I was so American, I watch MTV, you know? And I get there and I'm like, oh, I'm really Pinay, right? Um, and then, God forbid, I made any mistake in English. I didn't even know it was a mistake. Oh my God, does this have aircon? <laughs> right? And they'd yeah. be like, what? <laughs> aircon, aircon. Air, what is an aircon? And I'm like, oh shit, it's called palan AC, punyeta. Right? Any mistake or any mistake in English. Parang it was so shameful because I felt I was coming from a place of equality. I thought I was. You guys, yung pala, I'm really marked as other. So we other ourselves. I, true, true. Well, also, why am I why am I American? Why was I coming out of Saints Call thinking because I watch MTV and eat Snickers? I'm kano. You know what I mean? Parang hello. So I guess my biggest take home here, um, I really actually take pride in the fact that Filipinos do know how to code switch, that we are so accommodating and loving and want to welcome everybody. But I am hyper aware of the position of privilege that I do occupy in certain circles. And therefore, I'm like Chris in that way. Na I, I still am conscious about, am I doing, is this a performative thing? Am I making fun? Am I trying to just please because I'm insecure? Am I being condescending? It's still very conscious in my head. My take home is, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. I don't think Not being mindful is... is a bad thing, diba? Especially if ultimately you're you're being mindful because because of ultimately you want to be good, <laughs> right? You yeah, don't want to hurt respect. anybody. It's way of respect. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, well there you go, ladies. It's been a pleasure so once again. It was such a pleasure. It is a pleasure. We really need to do this like we really need to do this sort of like towards the evening so we can have cocktails, please. I agree. So that's it for flipping the narrative on accentism. Thank you again so much to Dustin, who's our fan, who wrote in this question. If you have a question or want us to cover a topic, we'd love to because we just like talking, as you might have guessed. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like follow us on Spotify and Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, see you next time. Bye. Everyone, bye. Bye. Follow, follow us on Instagram at Flipping the Narrative and Facebook. We're on Facebook as well. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Until bye, we everyone. see you again, flip, flip. Bye, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Till we flip okay, again. So, till we flip again. Well, was it worth it? Did we work it? Put that thing down. Flip it and reverse it. Keep flipping with us. Subscribe to Flipping the Narrative wherever you get your podcasts to listen to our new episodes as soon as they drop. We are on social media too. Follow at Flipping the Narrative on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what you think. Or send us an email at flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. That's flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. Music courtesy of Cumbia Mamacita by Yoki of Ozen Beats. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Josel Gaston, our sound editor and musical engineer and podcast advisor and overall guru. And to Nami Kapati, the artist who created our awesome logo and visuals. Till we flip again.